0: Welcome to, well, a return episode of the TNC podcast. We don't have any transfers to talk about this time around, so we're going to discuss this, the action across Europe and really get an insight into how teams are doing in different leagues and what we expect uh, to happen as well in the English Premier League, of course. Uh, I'm your host, Johnny Bentley, uh, back, refreshed, ready to go, and I'm joined by uh, everyone's favourite Twitter threadmaster, Zach Louie.
1: Hey, well, great to be back!
0: Yeah, he's 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 very happy to be back. Well, we had delays, multiple delays to this because the because of the stupid host that is me, having stupid things happen to me. But we are now, like I say, on the right track, ready to go. And uh, I guess let's get right into it. Uh, we had lots of European football happen this week at, during the week. Sorry. And a big, a bigger result that stood out, I think, for many was the seven-two Bayern Munich uh, victory over Tottenham Hotspur. Lots of people um, slamming Tottenham Hotspur for being bottle jobs, as they usually get the the, the phrase thrown at them every few weeks, months. Um, certainly, it feels that way, anyway. But uh, not, not not as many, I suppose, in the British press as quick to praise Bayern Munich. And I mean, one thing I noticed Zach, in that game when I was. Uh, looking back on it, was how clinical uh, the Germans were. I mean, fair enough, Tottenham gave them space. They they opened up, they, they gave the ball away too cheaply. They sometimes looked a little lethargic, particularly towards the end uh, at closing down the space. But the finishes were, were unbelievable, so clinical every single time. You, I was applauding, good finish in the corner, in the corner, in the corner. I mean, it was a real finishing masterclass, wasn't it, from the Germans?
1: Yeah, it definitely was. I was actually on the uh, Spanish-speaking podcast, La Media Inglesa, yesterday talking about how the result was a bit uh, unkind, if you will, to Tottenham just because, not in terms of Bayern didn't deserve to win, they most certainly did, but perhaps on on the basis of their performances, perhaps it was more of a 4-2 than a 7-2. But no, like like you said, I mean... Uh, I actually thought that Tottenham were the better side over the first 30, 35 minutes. Um, Manuel Neuer had a great first half and and did well to keep out a lot of the shots. I think heung had, aside from his goal, he had, I believe, two other good chances that I think both were created by Ndombele. And uh, Neuer did well to keep them out. But yeah, I mean, Bayern... Undeservedly, if I may, came into halftime with a two-one lead, thanks to. Well, it's hard to say undeservedly, but they came away with uh, a two-one lead and half going to halftime, thanks to two incredible golosos from Kimmich yes. and Lewandowski, and like you said, just incredible finishes. I mean that at, at, at when when the opponents are doing are making shots like that you've just got to go to church and pray because no goalkeeper <laughs> in the world is stopping that uh, not even not even Joris but yeah I mean no. some great finishes some great performances from Bayern who impressed me a lot during their uh, initial game against Red Star Belgrade and yeah. yeah, I mean it was it was a good game uh, from the Germans I think that uh i mean above all nabry and lewandowski impressed impressed me a lot in attack uh, coutinho once again had you know imp- continuing his impressive start to his time in germany and yeah overall it was a solid performance i thought that thiago's uh, entrance in the f- in at halftime really changed the game for bayern and that they had mm. just so much more opportunities uh in fact i think Nabri's third or fourth goal was created by just a brilliant pass over the top by thiago mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah, i mean in, in some ways it reminded me of the wise for robertson sub uh mm-hmm. at field against barcelona which completely changed the game albeit to different uh different reasons but yeah i mean thiago is really so important to this team but overall yeah it Definitely. I mean, Bayern going in playing against uh, the, ch- the last year's, last season's Champions League finalists without mm. uh, their most expensive signing, you know, with Lucas Hernandez injured mm. and with Thiago on the bench as well, came in mm. and did their job. They got the job done. So I'm not very impressed with Nabry, who's got a lot of weight on his mm. shoulders the impact of Robin and Bribri, but he's doing very well at the moment. Yeah, not
0: not good enough for Tony Pulis, but certainly good good enough to play for for Bayern Munich. Um, One thing, I I mean, I was sort of, when I was thinking about the Bundesliga at the start of the season, I thought people asked me what I thought and I would, and I gave the impression that Borussia Dortmund, this could be their year because they had a you know, a brilliant transfer window. They got Nico Schultz, Thurgood Hazard, they made Paco Alcacer a permanent buy, Julian Brandt, and then they got Mats Hummels. And uh, with me, I thought Mats Hummels uh, going to Dortmund will give them assurances at the back. Um, he's got that experience, that know-how, because one criticism of Dortmund I found was that um, last season, they were brilliant going forward, lots of young energy, lots of enthusiasm, but they were a little bit uh, haphazard, a little bit too energetic or enthusiastic, or just needed someone to calm the t- down the tempo, calm things down. So, if you'd have asked me at the start of the season, I would have said I would have looked at Dortmund as being the the team that really could maybe take advantage of Bayern Munich losing Arjen Robert and Frank Ribery after so long, and arguably not really, you know, replacing them with a big money signing, obviously linked with Sane, but they got Ivan Perisic on a loan deal, probably a stopgap signing to rotate with Kingsley Coman and uh, Serge Gnabry. But I mean, I'd just like to say, I'd just like to put the question to you. How good is Robert Lewandowski? Because he's got 10 goals in six league appearances. I think he's one of those strikers we all know, we'd all say, oh yeah, he's a world-class striker. But usually, usually over the years we say, oh yeah, but Luis Suarez is better or he, or, or maybe Sergio Aguero is a bit, is, is more appetizing. He seems to go under the radar a little bit, but 10 goals in six... Bundesliga appearances at 14 for the season, I think. Um, this guy is just a predatory goal scorer, isn't he? And he, like a, he just seems to be getting better and better.
1: Yeah, I mean, numbers alone, I don't think anybody, any striker in Europe has had a better start to the mm. season than Lewandowski, perhaps uh, Erling Holland. But, you know, playing in, mm. in Austria and playing in Germany is a bit different, not that different, but. It's it's definitely a higher level. And yeah, I mean the, the issue with Lewandowski really is I mean, we know how how clinical and how good he is. Uh at, at least in, in Bundesliga and in, you know, the group stages. He was I believe he, he had a he had an extremely clinical uh, group stage last season, you know, where he started off. Mm. The issue with him is just being able to get the job done in the latter stages mm. and it's the big mm. opponent. And granted, he was fantastic against Tottenham. I think that he, in my opinion, he's been the best striker in the world this season. But the issue mm. is st- keeping that and staying consistent until the latter stages. Because we saw against Liverpool um, back in the round of 16 last season, you know, that that prowess, that, uh, that domination that we so often see from him, it faded away. Same thing happened... Uh, Uh, against Real Madrid in 2018, you know, I mean, ever since he, he had that historic performance against Real Madrid in 2013, we just haven't seen that kind of form from him in the latter stages. So I think the onus is on him. And granted, I mean, he, he looks like a different animal. I think he's what he's 31, 32. So you would think that he would be starting to decline, but he, he looks better than ever right now. I mean, he looks he looks fitter than ever. I mean, I, I just just looking at him, he looks incredibly light, still has that same burst of pace. Um, but yeah, like I said, when he's in this kind of form, he's the best striker in Europe. The onus is on him to stay and to stay like, stay consistent and keep that going until the latter stages of the Champions League. Mm.
0: I mean obviously as well uh, Philip Coutinho loan deal by Bayern Munich looked to me at the time to be a very astute signing because obviously um you know it gives him it gives Coutinho the opportunity to try and rediscover you know the form that got him the 140 million pound move to Barcelona and he started really well um uh, with his Bayern Munich career as well he's um actually on on the on the website who scored who sort of compile Data to come up with an average rating. He was against uh, Cologne and uh, Paderborn. He got uh, ratings of 9.2 and 9.7, which is damn good out of ten. Um, so it's suggesting that he's thriving in that in that number ten role. Um, but you know, what do we think about Coutinho in the Bundesliga? Do we think it's something that you know he's a very big club? But I think with Barcelona and Real Madrid, you need, you almost need more than just ability. You need to be able. You need to have thick skin need to have immense character you need to be able to deal with being at one of the complete elite clubs where you scrutinize every week do you think Bayern Munich's maybe just slightly below that and that gives him the freedom to express himself to start performing again
1: I mean yeah to an extent I mean Bundesliga is a worse league in terms of quality than La Liga yeah. Um, but just more than that Coutinho has found himself in a context where he can really thrive. I mean, he is looking back to his time in Barcelona, okay, pushed out to the wing, um, played in midfield a little bit, but in general, mm. he never got going uh, in Barcelona. Mm. Even even when he had that uh, exciting, if you will, start to his time in Barcelona where you know he was, he was scoring a decent amount, putting in some... Okay, performances. He he really just didn't didn't seem to click. And to be fair, I mean it is hard to fit a player like Coutinho uh, and a player like Messi in the same team. You know, mm-hmm. So you need to. I mean, for for a player like Coutinho to thrive, and not just Coutinho, but a lot of those same kind of central playmakers of Coutinho's ilk. You know, we, we're seeing it with, with James Rodriguez uh isco uh ozil you know that just keeps on you know it's it's the same issue these kinds of players mm. they need a specific context to be surrounded mm. in you know if, if you're coutinho you need two two wingers who are going to make those runs in behind for you you need a striker who's going to Stretch the defense. You're you you need players who aren't going to be you know asking for the ball all the time. You need the freedom mm. to be able to you know pick up the ball, carve through midfield. And I mean, look, Coutinho did great, and you know had a had a great uh, spell at Liverpool. He's a he's a starter for Brazil, and he's currently killing it at Bayern. He's he's a fantastic player, but he needs that exact same. Uh, the right context, basically, to be able mm. to have mm. it, and I think in some ways, yeah, you could perhaps attribute some of Azard's initial uh, struggles at Real Madrid to that, just having having the right context. Mm. You know, even oh, we'll, yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. Later, but but you know, Coutinho, Azard, yeah. they're both like players who sort of you know they always want to be the hero. You know, and, and so Mm. is, is starting to find out same way Coutinho did when he came to Barcelona that, you know, this is, this is a team of superstars, right. Mm. And you can't just, you know.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's really well, uh, that's really well explained.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that is intriguing, Coutinho has had a pretty amazing start at Bayern. He's been man of match pretty much every single game. I'm intrigued to see if if Bayern still decide to break the bank for Kai Havertz next summer or if they uh, mm. decide to use that money on Coutinho.
0: Oh, yeah. No, no, it certainly will be interesting. I mean, um, as well. Uh, maybe a push for Leroy Sane, uh, who's uh, been injured this season. I, I wouldn't be surprised after the Perisic loan deal if they then moved for somewhat of his quality. But as you say, as well, there's the Kai Havertz potential with that and and of course, Coutinho as well. Uh, but then, of course, just a quick just a quick few words, I minutes mean, on Dortmund as well. So as I was saying before, we moved back to Bayern. There was so much expected of them from me personally this season. Hummels coming in. I watched a bit of this, uh, a few of the uh, snippets from the Slavia Prague game. And Slavia, Slavia Prague were actually quite unlucky against Dortmund. They had quite a few opportunities, and they they, uh, they kept doing Dortmund with a ball over the top. And it wasn't the most you know intricate of balls. It was just more sort of more of a hoover a punt, and it got the strikers in quite often. And I, and I was looking at it thinking, well you know, Hummels is there to sort of steady the ship, to read the game. But I guess one flaw with Mats Hummels throughout his career, as good a defender as he's been, is his maybe lack of pace, maybe concentration always has to be on it. But sometimes it's not. And his lack of pace means that if he isn't quite on it, you know, he gets exposed quite a bit in in, in certain situations. Now, you know, it looked a little bit like that um, against Slavia Prague. And, And perhaps across the season, maybe... He's struggling a little bit with Dortmund's high line, maybe because you know they've been conceding quite a few goals in the Bundesliga. Still, it's you know it's, it seems to have been a continuation from last year. They lost three one to Union Berlin uh, not too long ago. Um, so, do we think that's where Dortmund's Achilles' heel remains? You know, brilliant going forward, lots of goals in that team, but defensively, this playing such a high line and maybe having Hummels in there, who's not the fastest, maybe it's not quite working at the moment.
1: I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought that uh, the Hummels move was actually—I mean, from what I've saw, what I've seen, especially against mm. Barcelona, the Hummels move was a masterstroke in many ways. It's a lot of money to pay for a player who's obviously declining, but still, I mean, looking at that Dortmund team of last season, where they looked—you know—they really looked mm. at to to uh, finally bury Bayern's dominance. It's just they yeah. have that kind of defensive veteran and mm. the presence mm. almost offers. But I do think that, I mean, I think that in many ways, uh, Dortmund's issues are mental. You know, they can sort of mm. just seem to uh, switch off. I mean, uh, just to give you a few examples, I mean, against, against, uh, against Eintracht, against Werder, Werder Bremen. I mean, they can just let their opponents get back into the game. And I, this is a very talented uh, Dortmund team. And even with I – mean, and and like you said, they had a very successful summer window. I mean, you know, they replaced Pulisic with Julian Brandt and uh, and and uh, Thorgan Hazard for mm-hmm. less – I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure there was less money than they sold sick uh, yep. for. They brought in... Yeah, it was about
0: 40 million, wasn't
1: it, together? They brought in Nico Schulz. they brought in Hummels, and really the only major loss uh, that they had was Abdou Diallo, who, um, to their credit, isn't even starting for PSG. Um, but... But but still, I mean, this is a positive window, and you would think that they would be looking even better. And I certainly thought that they had what it took to, um, you know, to, to win the Bundesliga, and they they might. But right now, it looks like the two strongest teams uh, in Germany are Leipzig and Bayern. So yeah, I absolutely. Think just, I think some of the issues for Dortmund is just mental. You know, they can just seem to switch off really. I mean, of of course, Hummels has has his flaws as a defender, but still great on his day. But yeah, I mean, a lot, agreed. Yeah, a lot of it, and also just not taking their chances because I've seen a lot of games where they they've you know carved out so many uh, good, whether it's on the counter or in possession, they've carved out so many chances where oh, it looks like mm-hmm. they make a two goal, three goal lead. They failed to take them, failed to convert, and boom, mm. the opposition gets uh, an equalizer in the 80th minute and they share the points. So it's, it's a mm. bit of both, I think.
0: Yeah, football is a cruel game. And also, uh, it was a cruel game, actually, I thought, for uh, Club Bruges actually. Uh, when they when they were in action, they were 2-0 up, actually, against Real Madrid. They were still very happy with the 2-2 draw, but they played really well in that game. Um, it's a weird one because Real Madrid um not they they were spanked 3-0 by PSG in the first game week uh Champions League game week they drew 2-2 at home to Club Bruges but in the league you know they're doing they, they're doing quite well they three clean sheets in a row one against uh with a 1-0 win away to Sevilla and then they drew 0-0 away to Atletico again I'd probably say they were two very good results Atletico another team that's doing well in the league uh sit, as I say sit top of La Liga four wins three draws um but yeah you know i mean there's been a lot there's been a lot of almost going on in this window we've had the gareth bale issues in terms of you know he wants to go zidane doesn't like him we've got the, the stories that ed Nazar's about 50 stone overweight uh, maybe a slight exaggeration there um and then you've got james rodriguez maybe wanting to leave you, Luka jovic not really settling in uh but you can't argue with with an unbeaten start, top of the top of the division. Okay, the Champions League's not looking too good, but in the league, a bit of a bit of steel. Three clean sheets in th- out in the past three games. There's a bit of steel there that maybe we wouldn't have expected uh, with Real Madrid with all the going on.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even with the early struggles in the Champions League, you've got to think that. I mean, they're they're going up against Galatasaray and Club Bruges. They should have what it takes to. Uh, to get second place in that group. I mean, never say never, of course, but I think they'll have what it takes in the end to get their crap together and uh, get into the knockout round. But yeah, no, I mean, impressive, really, especially against uh, an upstart Sevilla team. You know, I I watched that game and I thought, um, I actually think that two players who have been sort of coming into their own after you know that disastrous 2018-19 where really everybody except for Benzema and Vinicius was just out of it. I think two players who have been coming into their own lately have been Toni Kroos and Casemiro, which is really important. If you can get those two back, you can you can start to solve a few of those issues in midfield, not all of them, but so much of uh, Madrid's problems this season and and last season of course have just come from conceding too much space and conceding too many opportunities in midfield. Mm. And for a team that, you know had just an unparalleled midfield with you know Prime Modric, Cruz, Isco, Casemiro, on mm. and so on. That's a bit worrying, but I do think that Cruz and Casemiro, Cruz especially, Cruz I thought was very good against the... Uh, Against Cl- Club Brugge on uh, Tuesday, as well as against Atletico, uh, where of course Thomas Partey was the probably the best player on the pitch, but nevertheless a good performance from the German. But yeah, no, it's it's an it's a pretty impressive, if not misleading, start to after all those issues for Real Madrid to be top of the table. And granted, I mean uh Barcelona have been uh, a train wreck yes. so far but you know, <laughs> i mean looking at their in early injury crisis in early injury crisis as well as Ozard mm. looking uh, pretty overweight and just uh, like a yes. just kind of out of the dynamic um overall i mean that's that's pretty pretty darn good and i'm pretty sure they go up against the second place team granada this weekend um, Incredible from Granada yeah definitely I know a lot of people who um, you know people I respect when like it comes to Liga who had them pinned for relegation but I mean to to be able to get to where they are now it's, it's great from Diego Martinez and his side just definitely one of the surprise stories of the season
0: oh yeah for sure um why do you think that is?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think that, uh, Diego Martinez is, is just, he's, he's a good coach, you know? And I I think that, um, I think that we've, we've actually seen a lot of like stories of this kind of ilk where like teams just come out of nowhere and, uh, and, and, and get to like, Top four or, or top two? I'm I'm pretty sure mm. last season, uh, Deportivo Alaves were I think first mm. in the league at some point, and that was Atalanta in Serie A as well. Yeah, of course. But I mean, especially in Spain, I mean that and that was down mm. to Abelardo Fernandez, who isn't there anymore, but he did a great job with that side. Um, also, Hitefe H- Jose Bordelas But yeah, I mean, just the way the team's structured and I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's just, he's just a quality coach. And I really think that, um, I mean, I mean, this Granada side, just, uh, really, really, um, solid and exciting. Definitely impressed me a lot during (laughs) against, um, against Barcelona. I thought that, um, Mm. they I mean they just seem to have this this the right balance also um I'm liking the performances uh the performance of uh Ruiz Silva Portuguese um, mm. goalkeeper as well as um as well as Yango Herrera, who is on loan from manchester city um yeah th- they made some smart moves um and and just looking at the team. I I I mean, we were a lot of people were picking them as like uh, the the likeliest to be relegated, but here they are, second in the league with the chance to go into the international break uh, number one. I mean, it's just incredible, and mm-hmm. I give all my respect to mm-hmm. Martinez and his men.
0: Absolutely. Very impressive. Uh, so just before we uh, have a quick talk on Barcelona, I'm sure you'll be willing to go into that, into some depth. But uh, just back to Hazard, actually. We, we said we'd we'd come back at that. And you were talking about Coutinho and ha- being in the right context or atmosphere, I guess, and, and the change and how it's important for him to thrive. He needs to be in the right kind of, in that right um, context, as you say. And you said that sort of ties with Eden Hazard as well. So could you explain what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that just Ozard's issue. Well, obviously, of course, one of the issues is just adapting to the Spanish style and, um, and losing weight, you know, getting into fit. But I think that, I don't know, I think, I think perhaps one of the, uh, issues is just, you know, mental. You know, he thought that he had reached the top after, after, after last season, you know, he finally got his dream move to Real Madrid. And that's not how this works. You know, once you get there, once you get to your dream destination, you've got to work and put in the effort to prove that you belong there. And granted, I mean, Ozard has had a history of coming back from vacations overweight. But I think this is more than just that. I mean, I think it's just about Learning how to play in a side where you're not really expected to do everything like like he was in Chelsea because I mean looking back mm. at last season, um, I mean Ozard pretty much carried that Chelsea team to third. Mm. I mean he mm. he put in some heroic performances. Um, obviously had a great performance in the Europa League final too. So it is a bit. <laughs> it is a bit um it is a bit worrying for real madrid when they you know put up that much money and he's just he's just not really really doing anything um granted i mean i i don't know i think that um i think that obviously the team is not where it should be at but yeah no it's just it's one of those things that um that is just hard to explain or understand sort of like his, his record in the champions league, you know, because I mean, looking at Azar, he, you know, he's, he's been great in the euros. He's been great in the world cup. He's been great in the premier league, Europa league, um, as well as, you know, league and the domestic cups. I mean, and yet he just can't seem to, uh, pull in a, an impressive performance in the champions league, um. Uh, you know, when it when it comes down to it, I mean, I think that perhaps the only the only one that comes to mind is in the group stage against Atletico Madrid a few years ago, um, under say, but that that was in the group stage, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's it's just sort of one of those things. That it's just weird because I mean, looking at it, I mean, Ozard, one of the best players in football. Okay, I mean, I I think that. Um, when you look at the context, I mean, Florentino Perez had wanted to sign Ozard for a while. Zidane mm. was, uh, has always been a huge admirer of Ozard. You would think that on paper um, that he would be hitting the ground already. But if there's one thing that Real Madrid's issues as of late have taught us is that you can't judge a team on paper. Because I think that I, I recently – I argued a few weeks ago that that in a thread that Real Madrid had the best market, had the best summer window on paper, on paper alone. doesn't mean that they necessarily have the best – they had the best market, but on paper, looking at the quality they brought in, I don't think any team in Europe can match that. And when it comes around to Azard, I don't think that um, – I mean, he has the talent – to just lead this Real Madrid team, but it's just it's it's kind of a struggle when when you're looking at something about it's more than just, just getting fit or you know learning how to adapt to the Spanish song. It's learning how to adapt to a uh, a, a team and a context where you aren't. At the game. Oh,
0: I don't know what happened there. Sorry sorry about that. We had a police raid midway through the uh, podcast. <laughs> police raid mid-podcast. Uh, don't worry, don't worry, I don't. I'm not going to be attacked by the police. That was scary. That never happens. Anyway, it's a really good segue for... Um, actually, you were saying there were, there were struggles with... Oh, dear. compose yourself, right. There were struggles with, um, as, as we say, with Hazard adapting. I was just going to make a quick comparison, actually. I suppose it's a bit similar to Manchester City and going from... I suppose Riyad Mahrez actually going from a club last season uh, in Leicester. Uh, oh, sorry, before that with Leicester, where he was asked to do similar things. Went to Man City, struggled. Second season seems to be doing better, and I think City are a bit like the English Galacticos in a sense.
1: Well, what are the goodness is going on? That's what you get for living in. China oh my lord! You.
0: I'm taking this outside. That's it. Is actually yes, it is. In case you didn't know, I am living there. Yeah. But don't worry, we are now outside. Actually, in the in a, in a wonderful sunny uh, balcony. So that's also what I get for living in uh, uh-huh. for living in China. So you know, you, it could be worse. Um, so yeah, nice. I feel all very continental now. I'm sat on my balcony, avoiding police raids. But yeah, so I was sort of make make the Man City comparison. Actually, there, I guess, um, in terms of uh, you know, in terms of. In terms of that elite club, and maybe when when when, when players from smaller clubs go to that, so like you say, it's a mentality thing. It's always a mentality thing, and um, you know that that's kind of the way it is. What I uh, just to bring just to bring uh, Barcelona into it now, because obviously I think it'd be a good time to do that. Um, you know, we are we're we're already into this. We're we're not too many games into the season. They've already lost twice in the league. Um, I watched the first game of the season. It they were they were suspect. Um, I watched. I was saying to you before, actually. I watched the game against Betis, and at times I thought they were outstanding. Some passing football. that was a real throwback to, um, to you know, what I, what I expected from Barcelona not too long ago. Um, you know, I mean, well, back back when they were in the golden era, as so. such. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's just not really been a good start. I mean, I've been looking at your threads, and you've been sticking up for uh, Ernesto Valverde, the manager, um, because he gets a yeah. lot of criticism and you feel that sometimes that's unwarranted. Uh, you were saying, actually, with, with, with the recent game against Inter Milan, that, that, that the Vidal substitution, the substitution of Valtero Vidal, changed the game uh, and allowed Barcelona to, to, to uh, I suppose, change, switch, alter the momentum, because Inter Milan started that game really well, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they did. And, and I mean, to clarify, I do think that Valverde should have stepped down uh, after the season. I hope he steps down at the end of the season, but I don't think that he's... Uh, he's the complete fruit of all of Barcelona's issues, as some might argue. Um and I do think that uh yeah. he needs to be he should be given credit for that because uh inter's I mean Antonio Conte's Inter, you know, who have who have started off the season brilliantly, you know, they I believe they've won six out of six matches in Serie A. Um and and they you know, they, they just I mean, stylistically they're playing great football and they were in control yeah. for for pretty much most of the match. I mean, they, they Barcelona were very lucky to come out of halftime only yeah. when I mean uh Lautaro, for example, had a few uh, good opportunities aside from his goal. Um Semedo yeah. and and Ter-Sanon had two very had a few good saves. Um, to, to keep those out, but yeah, I mean, so I mean, basically, what what that does is, first of all, I mean, Brozovic, um, Brozovic coming off was was pretty hu- huge, and he had been fatiguing um, later on in the second half, so that's why he came off. But because when when Brozovic is really Marcelo Brozovic, um, you know, he was a key player under Luciano Spalletti and He's he's a key player under um under Conte as well, you know, when Brozovic came uh when Brozovic kind of like became fatigued, if you will, I think that that uh just when his his levels dropped basically that sort of, you know, that sort of caused um Barcelona to take control. And I, I do think that that's one of the flaws of an otherwise very good, um, uh, good inter team is that they don't really have many. They don't really have a a clear cut um replacement for him. I mean, they have uh, Matias Vecino and Roberto Gagliardini who just don't really offer what he does on and off the ball. So I mm. do think that was an issue and but basically what what the sub did and to to get Arthur on for Busquets it meant that basically Frankie and Arthur were playing, you know, closer together, basically controlling it from the base whereas Vidal was playing further forward almost as an attacking midfielder which as you remember play, he played that exact role for Conte's midfield in at Juventus in that, in that diamond mm. midfield with uh, Paul Pogba, Claudia Marchisio, and Andrea Pirlo. You know, so almost it was a bit ironic, uh, if, if you will. And no, I, I, but I, I did think that it was a very impressive performance um, from, from Inter, mm. uh, among others, uh, Lautaro Martinez, uh, Stefano Sensi, and Nicolo Barella. But, um, no, I mean, I, I think that one could argue that Inter's lack of depth uh, killed them in this game because they just didn't have the necessary um, manpower to to make those changes. Although, you could also point to Conte for getting his changes wrong. Um, but, but, I mean, t- to be fair, I do think Inter probably deserved to win this game, but... I mean, Barcelona came up on top partially because of the who you know got on and came on as as the attacking midfielder um, was pretty much a nuisance in that area and uh, set up set up Suarez' first goal, mm. which was incredible. Also had uh, mm. Messi uh, coming on and just making that incredible mm. run that really only Messi can do. Um, and just setting it up. Mm. So yeah, I mean, I think the heroes of the first half for Barcelona were um, were Ter Stegen, Tomato, it was more Vidal, Suarez, and Messi for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ter Stegen is one of the best now, isn't he, in the world, if not the best uh, fantastic shot stopper, brilliant with his feet. Um, you know, but obviously Barcelona a bit stuttery. I mean, one of, the, one of the criticisms, and I've said this to you before with Valverde was that it felt like you know, sometimes that when Messi was on the field, he'd have a very pragmatic structure, and, exp- and then the ball gets put to Messi, and it looks like it, the instructions are give the ball to Messi, and he will make something happen. As opposed to having this, you know, this fluid team effort. I remember watching? Uh, I think it was against Athletic Bilbao on the first game of the season. I remember, um, I think they were they were playing, and and uh, Frankie Diong was was running with the ball, and he was looking around. It looked a bit exasperated almost um a, 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 a lack of movement from some of his other because he's obviously come from an Ajax team managed by Ericton Hag, um which is completely which is completely fluid and and expansive. So would you say that's a fair criticism that when Messi is always on the field, uh Barcelona do look like they're focusing on pragmatism with a view to getting the ball to Messi or do you think that's a bit unfair?
1: Um no, I mean I think that's that's probably true, but that's that's the case for Pretty much, pretty much any 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 manager, you know, whether it's in Argentina or Barcelona, that's that's sort of always been the case, at least since the, at least since the decline of the Xavi and Iniesta Busquets midfield. I mean, it's all about just pretty much getting the uh, ball to Messi. Although I do wonder if that that could change. Uh, looking at this um, new look Argentina side that's been impressing me with with Messi suspended, I. I wonder if it could change, but it, it might not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's a fair criticism. But at the end of the day, it's what pretty much every every coach from Tata Martino to Luis Enrique has done over the past uh, five, six years or so.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, some people, when you manage one of the biggest clubs in the world, I guess you're always going to attract uh, a certain level of criticism, regardless of who you are. Maybe not Pep Guardiola, but you know, in most situations, I suppose that criticism does come. But obviously, their opponents into Milan. Perfect start. 18 out of 18 league points. Uh, only conceded two goals. Uh, Lukaku's played quite a lot. He's got. He's had, you know, three goals in six. I always think with Lukaku, though. I always remember when Conte was at Chelsea, and I guess, I guess you've heard this before. He was always looking. He said from his striker for, as a point of reference he was looking at them as a point of reference uh, so that i guess the attacking play could, the ball could be held up with that with that person they could they'd have to do a lot of running but uh, you know it's more than i guess just about the goal scoring it's about being being sort of a he likes doesn't he the physical striker the the, the person who can use his strength to hold it up the person who can or bring others into play um so he, and he's he's sort of had a loving with Lukaku for a long time hasn't he so he'll be delighted. To have finally got him and he seems to be doing well for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, no, no, I, I don't have it. I don't have anything to disagree with that.
0: Perfect. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, hopefully no more police raids while, while we're on this good, uh, good run of form. Uh, but of course the Sanchez as well, Alexi Sanchez, uh, outcast at Man United, uh, put, br- you know, brought in, uh, on a, on a loan deal, uh, and doing really, really, you know, doing really well with that. So, um, uh, you know, I thought he looked he looked lively, didn't he, against Barcelona to begin with his old club, of course. And he had moments where you know he looks like a more revitalized character, not playing at the left wing, but he seems to be just off the striker, yeah,
1: just off yeah the striker. definitely. And yeah. I mean, yeah, you you have to remember that um, when, but before Conte had even coached at Juventus um back in back in May 2011 one of his first transfer um demands at, as Juventus manager was Alexis Sanchez back when he was at Udinese um Barcelona ended mm. up getting him and not Juve but yeah Conte has wanted to manage both Alexis and Lukaku for a while and I mm. thought it was yeah I, I mm. think it's I think it's a good deal for Inter because I mean first of all they're not even paying the majority of his salary so uh the the his silly wages are basically being paid by United um and the loan so so it's it's pretty low risk um I do think that they they sort of need a um a, a replacement for Lukaku having Having failed to sign Jekka over the summer, I think that I wouldn't even really wouldn't be surprised if they got, uh, Giroud in January. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that Alexis, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's slowly, uh, gaining his rhythm. And yeah, I think that he could, he could become, he could have sort of a renaissance this season.
0: Mm, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, you know, as I say, Juventus doing really well. Uh, I, I mean, Juventus, do, well, they are doing quite well. They, they sit second, but usually at the pole in, in pole position, Sarri enjoyed a relatively a decent start. I guess Higuain back in the full goal and assist uh, against Leverkusen uh, in, in the Champions League. So he's found a bit of form. Obviously, Ramsey not really starting as many games as many thought he might do. That's because Sami yeah. Kadira is having, you know, been a revelation, I guess. In that midfield, he's doing really well. Uh, and Delic didn't actually start the season, but he's, he now seems to be in the in the in the um, in the plans, which, which you know I suppose he was slowly bedding in some transfers. Uh, but yeah, no. And AC Milan, completely the opposite to Inter Milan, just having an absolute nightmare. But just to go, to, just to return to the English football now, because of course there'll be a few people interested in that. Um, obviously, we talk about Spurs. We talked about Spurs by Munich before. Bit unlucky to lose as much as they did. I think we both agreed with that. Uh would you go along with the crisis at Tottenham? Do you think there's a there's a genuine crisis in terms of whether players are interested or not? Yeah.
1: I mean, looking at the current situation, I definitely think there is a crisis at Tottenham. Um granted, I mean, I don't think that in terms of the long term. Like I do think there is a plan, but in terms of right now, where we're at, there definitely is a crisis at Tottenham. I mean, the fact is, um, Pochettino has taken this side as, as far as, as they could go. Um, and I think that we, we, we aren't reaching the end of the cycle anymore. We have reached the end of the cycle. That end of the cycle came in Madrid last, uh, last June at the, uh, Estadio Juan, Metropolitano and, after that result, I mean that that was sort of that was sort of it. I mean, looking at this team right now, you you could you could argue that uh, Tottenham's leaders such as Daniel Levy and Marisa Pochettino they should have seen this coming. I mean, the two starting center backs, Toby Alderworld and Jan Vertongen, both in the final years of their contracts, Christian also in the mm-hmm. final year of his contract and really doesn't look like he wants to be there um, no Danny Rose has two years left and or less than two years left and he just completely doesn't look anywhere near as good as he was back in you know 2016 2017 uh, and they really mm-hmm. should have considered well I mean more, more than just that I mean don't really have any stable solutions at defensive midfield. I mean, they tried to, sign, tried to sell Wanyama, could have sold uh, Deere. But yeah, I think that that's also one of their key areas that needs help uh, at defensive midfield um, right back. You know, I really don't think they made a mistake by selling Karen Trippier. I do think they made a mistake no. in not replacing him, though. Because when you look at it, you've got like... You've got Kyle Walker-Peters, who's played, what, like five games in the past three seasons. I mean, you've got Juan Foyth, who really isn't a right back, and you've got Serge Aurier, who, my God, I mean, I think that Bayern scored more goals on Wednesday than Aurier has brain cells in his body. Yeah, yeah. I think think it's pretty ironic, too, that Aurier's (laughs) ridiculous... Uh, like stamp on Alaba with first half which mm. should have earned him red only got him a yellow but his just ridiculous foul on him that was the reason why Alaba mm. left for Thiago which ended up ch- changing the game and which saw you know Nabri just destroy him all throughout the half mm. so yeah it is. it is a mess and even even looking at Dele Alli uh, another player who just doesn't look anywhere near as as he once was anywhere near as good as he once was uh Harry Kane still you know good enough to start for Tottenham but he just looks to have lost that that extra yard of pace it just looks like he i I don't know I I I fear that he may have the same career trajectory as Rooney um looking at the mm. amount of games he's played and looking at how much that's gonna take a toll on his ankle mm. I do that I do sort of have that fear that um that yeah, he could have a serious decline. So I mean, looking at this right now, I, I think that well, one of the bright spots for me is that, you know, the likes of Ryan Cessignon, Giovanni so they're gonna come back from in- and they're going to give them a breath of fresh air. Also, I thought that Tanguy Tangi and Dombele was one of their few bright spots. Um, Byron, and I think that he has been a is, he has been one of the sole bright spots this season. But yeah, I mean, if if we're if we're being fair, Tottenham are certainly in a crisis right now.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, with the Kane thing, I was thinking, actually, he seems to be doing an almost at times, Roberto Firmino-esque role. I think that could maybe be something he looks at with England in that he drops a bit deeper and then the the wider players. I mean, for Spurs, it's heung Son who often benefits from running on and then scoring the goals that he does. Maybe Lucas Moura as well. Um, and then you look at it for England maybe if he, if he if he drops a bit further deep and you've got Jadon Sancho and Raheem Sterling running in beyond and, and Kane acts as I say this Firmino kind of figure but it's a weird one because obviously I think Firmino is one of the most selfless players that there is I mean he's always looking for the pass, he's always looking for movements that will open up the spaces for his wide players but I think with Kane he's a player who's a lot more selfish isn't he so it does, that doesn't really seem to fit the mantra. I mean, he's someone who wants to be scoring goals and, and dropping deeper. You'd, you imagine he'd rather take the shot from 25 yards instead of play the through ball to one of his right-wing or left-wing teammates.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I mean t- to be fair, uh, Kane does have some quality on the ball. You know, he is a complete striker. Oh, for sure. But, but he isn't that kind of player... Um, like like Firmino he he really doesn't he isn't as lethal in terms of that playmaking role as as Firmino or Benzema are um and also you have to remember that uh Firmino has Mosala and Sadio Mane right next to him okay so He's expected to be the playmaker. He's expected to be the one who links midfield with attack and finds uh, his attacking teammates with clear-cut s- scoring opportunities. Kane, on the other hand, he's expected to be carrying their goal tally, right?
0: I guess Son some, some does that too, doesn't he?
1: Okay, to an extent, yes. But Kane, I mean, Kane is still expected to carry them going forward and I think that yeah I mean I think that he is trying to play more of a Firmino role and I think part of that is is down to just his um, well one I think part of it is down to the fact that Erickson has been really out of form for the past what uh, 18 months I mean as, as Ali, yeah. sort of the same thing. Um, so he does have that added sense of just I've got to be the playmaker now. But when when you're looking at it, mm. I mean, Kane has a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Is not only does he need mm. to be the playmaker, he also needs to be the main goal scorer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, t- I mean, we could we could go to Tottenham forever, but if we segue a little bit to some of the other Premier League teams. I mean, Liverpool won by four goals to three in the midweek against Salzburg. And I noticed one thing, uh, they looked a little bit iffy defensively and they have done really for quite a few periods this season. But in that game with Salzburg, Joe Gomez replaced Joel Matip and Joel Matip, slight injury, I think, uh, and Joe Matip, many people have said, has actually out. Some people have said has actually outperformed Van Dyke this season. They said he's been outstanding. And when you're watching, he, he uses composure. You know, he do, he does look certainly. The, he certainly looks the part, even next to someone as good as Virgil Van Dyke. And Joe Gomez has come in, and obviously he's you know a very well respected defender as well. But he, I don't know, he doesn't seem to provide the same assurance as Matip, does he? I think uh, quite a few people have said that yeah. now. And I think against Salzburg, he did look a little bit, you know, maybe not quite at it, lacks, lacks a bit in concentration, maybe not quite as imperious as, as Matip was. And that 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 one small change in the back four, maybe that did affect Liverpool a little bit more than, than they might have thought.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's important not to... Uh, you know, to, not to completely escape no. theirs, but I mean, and I mean that that midfield no, no, no. It was somewhat over underwhelming. I mean, Henderson and them I thought, uh, well, Henderson especially was not that good. Um, and and but yeah, no, I I mean I agree. I think that, um, at least since the turn of the year, Matip has. Arguably, been uh, Liverpool's finest performer. I mean, I mean, in the Champions League final, I would actually argue that he was uh, probably man of the match. Um, and yeah, it, it does make a difference. Obviously, Gomez's form um, hasn't been helped by uh, by injuries, nor has it been helped by you know sometimes being played out of position. He he was uh, he's. he's Played as a right back, which uh, to be fair, mm-hmm. part of that is just down to, Klein's injury and Liverpool's failure to sign a replacement. But yeah, I mean, no, I I, I do agree with you in that uh, Gomez uh, was sort of un, was pretty underwhelming. I mean, I and I mean, yeah, he he is only what twenty two, but mm-hmm. but no, he he did have pretty disappointing performance, I thought. And one of the positives is that he's he is lacking first-team games. But mm. if Matip keeps performing like this, it's going to be tough for him to get back in. I mean, he'll, he'll just mm. have to make do uh, with his opportunities, you know, in the cup games. Um, but, yeah, if, if Matip stays mm. fit, then, yeah, I mean, Gomez is going to have a tough time. Um, you know, clearly lacking match fitness, clearly lacking just just consistency and getting back into the rhythm. But no, I thought that he was definitely had some positional errors. Um, Mm. and 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 just in general was was just lacking uh, off the ball.
0: Mm. I think I think with with Gomez though, I feel like. He, you know, we it, like you say we don't want to scapegoat him. We don't want to. We don't want this to be a. This is, you know, Gomez having a really bad. I mean, Van Dyke didn't necessarily have his best game either in that particular game. Quite a few people weren't on form, um, and I think you know because it, 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 he is very good. I think one of the pros to having Joe Gomez in the Liverpool defense as centre back was he's so quick and and, he, and he's quite strong as well. So the speed makes up almost for his concentration and we're in a higher line which Liverpool like to play I think that's why he started yeah. the season almost because he started the season there because that's long term maybe where they want to go he's obviously got the age on Matip as well but I think the, the, instead of maybe scapegoating Gomez it wasn't intended like that it was more suggesting how much of a good impact that that Matip has had on the team but you know Liverpool big game against Leicester actually this weekend uh, so they'll be looking to uh, carry on their good form and just a quick few words on I mean I you know th- th- those are Manchester City they're the obvious top two so yeah. you know most of what they do is excellent excellent I mean the top six has been cutting uh, cut half I think well not really uneven halves you've got the top two who are amazing imperious, brilliant as good as probably it gets across Europe now so fair play to their yeah. models and then you've got then you've got the rest you've got you've got Inconsistency with all of them. I actually still think Tottenham could get third quite easily because I think what they have, even though they're in a crisis, what they have is very, very good uh, in, in terms of a in terms of a first eleven. I think that first eleven is excellent. You probably put Juan Foyt at right back in that first yeah. eleven uh, when he gets back. Uh, but that 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 is a, that, an end on Bellet for me one of the best signings of the summer if they get him yeah. playing to to potential. Yeah, but uh, just, just to go over some of those problems now. So we talked about Spurs a little bit. Chelsea doing well. I, I still think long-term this season with all the tournament competitions that there'll be, they may come a cropper in terms of whether they get the top four or not. Uh, but doing really well at the moment. Uh, you weren't a big fan of Unai Emery's tactics against Man United. Um, yeah. di- dissect dissect your thread for me.
1: <laughs> it was a pretty long thread, honestly. I think, I'm, I, think I made that thread. Condense it. <laughs> I actually think, I think I made it like at 1 a.m. or something, but, so I, he was throwing Mm. the but yeah, okay, um, the condensed version, no, it was just, um, just, I thought it was just a bit cowardly from Emory, three, Mm. three defensive midfielders against a United team that didn't have Aaron Wan-Bissaka, didn't have Luke Shaw, didn't have Anthony Marshall. And even if they had them, there would still be no need to play three defensive midfields. I mean, this is Manchester United we are talking about. In 2019, I mean, yes. uh, they're, they're not just unthreatening. They're, they're laughable at this point. So just for, for Emery to go out and use Terreira, Lucas Torreira, who, you know, he w- was bought under his watch... To use Lucas Herrera as an attacking yeah. midfielder, that was just mind boggling. I mean, you've got you've got Mesut Ozil, you've got Danny Ceballos, you've got Joe Willick, and I mean, mm. look, whatever issues uh Emery has with Ozil, I mean it's clearly personal. He he gave him made him one of the captains, and yet he's treating him like you know, like uh some thrown up uh, meal, um, you, you've got. Yeah, he played a role in bringing him to Arsenal. You know, he assured him game time, and he played a huge role in making him can choose Arsenal as his lone destination, apart instead of Tottenham. And you've got Joe Willock, who has definitely been one of the revelations um, of this for Arsenal, mm-hmm. and yet. He chose mm. to go with Torreira. And it's no surprise that Torreira was mm. one of the worst players on the pitch while he was on because he was being used in a, mm. in a role that he was completely unfamiliar with. I mean, it, it didn't make yeah. any sense uh, to me. Um, and and just looking at that, I mean, when, when your fullbacks are uh, – when your fullbacks are Calum Chambers – and Seo Kolasinac, and when you're when you're playing three defensive midfielders, look, I'm not making any excuse for Nicolas Pepe. I mean, he was horrible, but I do think that if he had um, a semblance of more, I don't know, attack uh, of a, more of an attacking game plan, and you know, obviously, uh, lots of Bellarine, Tierney, Lacazette injured. But if he, he had just injected, if he had, for example, if he had started uh, Ceballos over over Torreira or Shaka, I think that a lot of Pepe's issues and just the the rest team in general would have been rectified. And it was just a, it was cowardly. Yeah. That's all I'll say. It was, cowardly.
0: yeah. No, not great. Not great at all. But, you know, I think we've we've covered quite a bit there actually as well about the hour mark, so can wrap this up. Uh, so, yeah, lots of things. Police sirens, uh, foreign leagues, a bit on the Premier League at the end, I think. The next time we do it, we'll maybe have, I'll maybe condense the discussion a bit more. We won't have five minutes on, um, <laughs> on police sirens. We won't have the crazy actions going on, hopefully. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for joining me, Zach. And uh, we'll... Uh, We'll have this on again next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you.